Well, that's the thing. You take a nice egg and you drop it in the compiler and it's scrambled and it's really, really fast. That's that metaphor fell apart. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast. I know it's been a while since you've heard from us, but we are going to bring this marvelous weekly conversation back to you. It ran for eight and a half years, had nearly 200 episodes, and then mysteriously went on hiatus. It's been gone for over a year, but we're bringing it back. I'm Ben Popper, the director of content here at Stack Overflow and the weirdo who decided this would be a good idea. And I'd like to introduce you to my co-hosts. Hi. Hello, world. My name is Sarah Chips, and I am the director of public Q&A here at Stack Overflow. And I'm Paul Ford. I'm the CEO of Postlight, a product studio, digital product studio in New York City. Thank you to all of our forebears on yes. this podcast, the hosts who came before. Joel, Alex, Alana, the many, many people who contributed over the years, we thank you. And an amazing fact, even though this podcast hasn't been published in a year, a thousand people still listen to it a week. But, yeah, I guess they're going through the archives. So the demand is there. We're going to bring it back. We're going to talk about what it's like to be a developer, what it's like to learn to code. We're going to hang out. We're going to do interviews. We're just going to have fun. We're going to do the best we can to carry forward a rich legacy. We're going to kick it off with our question of the week, which Sarah shared. Is it legal for source code containing undefined behavior to crash the compiler? Now, in here, there's a few other details, which I really enjoyed as a non-coder. Let's say I write code that is so terrible, it invokes some undefined behavior, including stealing passwords, my own or other people's, which brought me to the moment of, if I write code so bad that the compiler commits a crime, am I therefore the accomplice? Give me some of your thoughts. The minute you start coming for undefined behavior in a program and you, you say there will be penalties, you might as well arrest all of the programmers. Yeah, but this is like the drone. Oh, I wish I could think of the library. This is like a, th there's like this military drone mm -hmm. that was running an open source Python library. Mm -hmm. Is the open source Python library writer liable? No, no. They release their stuff into the comments. That's that's banana cakes, right? Like, unless it's maybe if it's requests. But other than that, no, not even a request. Um, request is really good. The maybe spacey, that natural language toolkit. I have a lot of trouble sometimes using doing entity extraction. Regardless, okay, no. Like if I wrote a library that was constantly used for hacking. Yes, if there was like a function in your compiler and Somebody files a bug, and I feel, I feel this is true with security, right? There is negligence if somebody finds your big problem and it can destroy tons of economies or, or, or take away people's bank accounts, mm. and you don't respond to that. If you have it in your hands, you're being negligent by not addressing that. Mm. If you have the tools to fix your code and make it so that it's really hard to steal passwords, what you cannot do is punish people for not predicting every eventuality. Yes. The compiler is going to break. All code is going to break. We all suck. Right? <laughs> right. But if you don't respond in a, in a reasonable manner to huge ethical lapses where people have weaponized your tools, then you're negligent and you're really, you're pretty exposed. And yeah. I mean, you know, anyone can sue anybody. I would not be surprised if you get sued. Yeah. And you're class action, all kinds of stuff. So in this case, it's if this particular compiler was used on a regular basis for malware, then you would say maybe the writer of the compiler is liable, but in a normal expectation of, 
But yeah. if, if they find it and then like eight months goes by and they won't answer any emails about it and yeah. they then they rename it to like malware compiler 54C, <laughs> right? <laughs> then I feel that they've chosen a side. It's interesting. You guys are talking about the responsibility of the person who put together the compiler. I think the original question asker was sort of doing like the dog ate my homework where they were saying, if my code is so terrible that the compiler then does something really unpredictable or even illegal what's my responsibility, right? Like as the person who like wrote the code and stuck it in the compiler. I mean, fix your bug. (laughs) (laughs) This is so, I mean, this is such a weird one. Like I'm trying to- I know, what's this person doing? I know. What are you up to? Like, you know, (laughs) fuzz fuzz testing old C++. Well, I think actually, yeah. Then some people came out in the comments and were like, actually, if you did find a way to steal passwords like that, we'd be very interested to know. (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. (laughs) You know what it is? This guy, Guy's like he's got a he's got a final paper due in like an hour. And he's yeah. like, or like tomorrow, and he's like, you know, I just like I'm gonna procrastinate. By you know what that question is? Questions. No, that question is the result of everyone jamming that one ethics course into the comp sci degree. Yeah, <laughs> we've got to do at least one of these. He's, right. he's got a, like an 800 word essay due tomorrow, <laughs> and he's like, ah. We're going to have to do at some point on this show like a human human speak for developer stuff. So like what is a compiler? How does it work? But there was another great question along these lines that to me as someone who doesn't know much about code is really interesting. The question was about understanding the as if rule. The program was executed as written. And then the explanation was on Monday, your boss comes to the office, says I need file A by Thursday and B on my desk by Friday. You get to work and you realize I'd rather do A first and B second. I'd rather swip them, you know, swap Thursday for Friday. The compiler will do this for you sometimes, decide to do things in a way that you didn't plan, but ends up actually executing on it in an optimal way. As long as the observable behavior gets you the best result, you're okay with that, right? Well, that's the thing. You take a nice egg and you drop it in the compiler and it's scrambled and it's really, really fast. That's that metaphor for the part. <laughs> take it again. I like take fast it again. eggs. <laughs> I mean, first of all, what is a compiler is one of the great boundary testing questions of computer Yeah, this culture. could be a three-hour episode. Because it's like, <laughs> well, but you know, the, the virtual machine for Python does a byte code. You know, you're just like, yeah. oh, my God. Okay. but I'm really of the camp that I don't care what you're doing as long as I get A and B at the time I'm expecting it. I think that's right, right? Yeah. Like it's, look, I mean, compilers do matter. The tricky thing here... The thing that took me forever to understand is that computers are not actually good at anything. Like, they're not good at math. Mm-hmm. They just happen to be able to, like, flip a light switch really fast. Yeah. The only time this ever really matters is if you're at scale. Because if, like, you're, if you just yes. want the compiler to do something and, like, you don't care if there's 15 people on your website, you're like, great, whatever it takes. But then when there's, like, a million at the same time, then that stuff starts to matter. Then that's when you have to dig down deep into that's it. That's true. And you're, like, optimizing your code and thinking about There's a great the great quote for... Computing is a premature optimization is the root of all evil. Because you sit there and you're like, I'm going to be really smart and write this for a million people. And then you solve that problem instead of actually adding five numbers. I did it yesterday. And it's never actually the problem you hit when you hit a million people. I did something yesterday that I'm so embarrassed about. (laughs) So I have to to write a proposal at work, a statement of work, actually. And and so there's a, a little chart that I always make. And it's like on the left, it says things like engineer, product manager, designer. And then the, each month, I say how many of those people you're going to need to get the work done. Yeah. Now you can do this in a spreadsheet completely fine. Yeah. And in fact, you absolutely should. But no, I really was procrastinating. So I spent an hour and I wrote a little tiny language for defining it in little strings. 
<laughs> and I'm like, that is the most ridiculous it's really bad. thing I've It's ever really heard. bad. And then I'm like, oh, you know what? What if I want to go up by one? Let's make that a plus so that I can have... It's a little symbolic language for expressing projects. <laughs> and then I'm like, well, I need to be able to express phases. So I started to split it up. And That's then my, amazing. My co-founder looks I over... I hate Google Docs. This takes it to a whole new level. This is the thing. <laughs> my co-founder looks over at me and he, he sees a big pile of Python code and he's like... What the hell are you doing? <laughs> and I'm like, and the, the, this is important. We know each other so well at this point. I'm like, I have to write a proposal for you know a very large bank. Yeah, and and I'm like, I just am not feeling it today. <laughs> so I decided to have the computer write the proposal for me. Yeah, and which turns out to be harder. It's not only harder, but it's less effective yeah. and not as good. So let me go back to this compiler thing and see now if I understand it. I'll take your scrambled egg analogy. Well, okay, okay. You're putting the code together and you're giving it the fork, the eggs, the bowl, the milk, the pan, and then it can decide on the sequence or sort of the application of those things as long as what you get at the end is good scrambled eggs. Well, hold on. Ben, let's do it for real, right? So what's a programming language? It's a, You write a, you give a, the computer, you put a bunch of like signals or, or symbols into a file, right? Computer actually doesn't know what the hell is going on there. Now you need to run some software, and the software takes that pile of symbols and it says, "Oh, I recognize this. This is a for loop." And it says, "Do this 150 times in a row and execute mm. this code." Right? Mm. Okay. So it's that software is actually breaking all of that code and turning it into like a weird tree structure. That now, once it's turned it into something kind of the computer can walk through, it can now go through and start translating it. Sometimes in multiple steps into what usually is assembly language code. A compiler is software that gets you from usually like a text file to something that can execute directly on a machine. Gotcha. So like maybe this is a good metaphor. You eat something rather complicated, gets broken down by your stomach into something more essential, and that gets broken down even further and then carried around by these tiny <laughs> little atoms metaphor. to different parts of your body this to do the your, things you know, at the machine level. You are nailing it. <laughs> okay. What you end up with is what most code looks like. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, yeah, I got it. That's fine. And then when it's done, you flush it away. This is uh, Prashant Chandrasekhar. I am very, very happy to be here and excited to join the Stack Overflow family. A quick introduction about myself. I uh, grew up in Bangalore, India until I was about 17 years old. Grew up uh, in a very, very, I would say, blessed situation with you know my mom, who's a medical doctor, and my dad, who was originally an engineer and then became an academic over time. And you know, very uh, grateful that they experienced it really exposed me to technology very early on, and not only through them, but also just by virtue of living in Bangalore, because Bangalore is known as the, the Silicon Valley of India. So technology has been part of my DNA for the longest time. And when I was about 17, I really felt this yearning to explore my horizons and my perspective, and I decided that I wanted to go abroad, continue my, my learning and my education and just my life in general. And so very, very fortunately, I received a, a scholarship to uh, study in the United States, otherwise I would not have been able to make the move. And I ended up at the University of Maine in Orono, Maine, which uh, is a very, very small town uh, and very different from Bangalore, to, you know, to, to say the least. And what but time of the year did you land? I landed, uh, luckily, I would say, in the August time frame. Oh, so that was... So you didn't uh, know what you were in for. So it was beautiful New England fall mm. weather. 
Man, uh, gorgeous. But, but only a couple months away from, you know, real apocalyptic uh, type, uh, you know, uh, right. scenes. Yeah, Prashant told me he did not bring a jacket, but acquired one quickly. Yes, yeah. well, my, my parents did give me a jacket, but it was clearly not sufficient right. uh, for the, the brutal winters of, of, of Maine. So my, you know, my friends whisked me away to, to get a decent, solid you know, winter jacket. I'm going to kick things off here because I know a little bit of this backstory, but let's talk about that first computer that your dad brought home. He went on a trip to Hong Kong. Yes. And he brought home a 486. Actually, it was not even a 486. I think it was a 286. I clarified that with him. Yeah. yeah. So, 286 Club. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was a very old computer, but he lugged that thing all the way from Hong Kong. He brought a bunch of, you know, five and a quarter inch uh, floppy disks, which had, you know, business software along with obviously what would get us going, which were video games. Defender. Uh, Defender was my first uh, <laughs> exposure to a computer game and I was like completely hooked you know even before I actually knew what an Atari was it was actually first on this computer mm. yeah, was there a big CRT monitor like did you bring that yes yeah. wow big big and you know it took a long time to run things of course but it was really really uh, eye-opening and then very early on I the great thing about Indian education is that they expose you to you know uh, uh, you know fairly I would say technical topics really early on whether that's you know calculus in middle school or if it's you know computer science and in computer science so they started teaching logo and so that's when I got exposed to you know the first programming language uh, that I ever knew and I have fond memories of how that looked uh, when I first started and then quickly I moved on to basic and for my 10th grade kind of my high school project so to speak I remember my mom, obviously, as a doctor, she had a private practice and she had, you know, patients, et cetera. And so I had the choice, I had the opportunity to basically build a computer program application and I chose to build sort of a hospital management uh, system. With, with That's basic. fun. Just yeah. a fun, cool yeah. kid thing to do. Yeah. yeah. Just relax. Yeah, it was, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, but but it was actually, it's, it's something great, it's, it's something addictive about building something that actually delivers a very specific outcome with a customer customer that is going to benefit from it. And that was very, very joyous to see. Tell mm. Prashant about what you built for your dad. This is a oh. great family project that they did together. Yeah. So my dad, my dad's a year away from retirement. Mm. And I went to visit him at his office. He's a good, he's an awesome, awesome guy. He's been an architect for many years. And what he showed me is every day he prints out on the printer the number of days until his retirement, <laughs> the number of days until he starts collecting Social Security, <laughs> and the number of weeks. And every morning he goes to the printer, prints those out, and put them on that well, is amazing. Which I think is fascinating. Also really interesting sitting next to the person doing that every day. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you really want to get out of here. So I was like, Dad, this is a website. So now if you go to wacretiring.com, you can see the countdown for my dad to retire. <laughs> my big question for you is yeah. what kind of product manager was your mom? Like, was she a client? Mm. How was how she as a client? She's, she is, you know, very driven. And so knows exactly what she wants. So is not shy about sharing requirements. <laughs> uh, and so back then it was, you know, I was very clear on exactly what the specs were and what I needed to build and how That's I needed great. to architect this thing and what would be useful. So, no, it's great. It's great having clear right. direction from customers, no right? No scope creep in this house. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so anyway, that was, that was just a great, great introduction to, to, you know, computer programming somewhat early, I suppose, in my life. And that obviously continued heavily into college uh, when I studied computer engineering and got into, you know, C, C++ and Perl and, and uh, you know, all the other languages. Paul that loves Pearl, there. right, Paul? No, I just, you <laughs> had to know Pearl 20 years ago. So look, I mean, here we are talking to the Stack audience, like what, they're going to want to know things. Mm. What can we tell them? 
What can you tell them? You've been here, what, two days? Two days, two days, <laughs> exactly. Uh, two whole so days. So lay out, the, lay out the plan for the next five years. <laughs> yes, <laughs> no, thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> I think, uh, but in all seriousness, I, I've had the kind of just the privilege of learning about this company for, you know, almost since its, its inception, uh, mm-hmm. right? So since it started, because all the teams that I've led, especially at my time at Rackspace, have always used Stack Overflow. It's always the default place for our smartest people, in fact, or any engineers on our team to go get their answers very, very quickly. So, you know, hey, if they want to understand something about Kubernetes, but they expect the answer to come from Stack Overflow uh, as the answer. And so they they all know it. Uh, they've always talked about it in a very, very positive and you know, grateful kind of sense. And so I've followed the company very closely about the impact that it has very broadly for a long time. And so, and the tremendous impact that it has. Uh, in addition, the past two days, I've spoken to now close to 100 and 30 stackers, either in one-on-one scenarios or in uh, sort of team settings. And it's just been a phenomenal kind of eye-opening kind of, you know, learning experience to say, you know, what is what makes this place tick? And clearly it's the the team that's here Mm -hmm. and that cares about this community so much and wants to do the right thing. There are probably a handful of companies in the world, in our era, that has uh, such a large impact around the world, you know, with 50 million developers coming here to seek answers to their most technical questions, there is no way that you can replicate that magic. And so we're really, really blessed to have a phenomenal community of people that are willing to share so much and be open about the knowledge that there is resident in their heads and really to promote you know, truly borderless sharing of, of information around this, of these topics. And then to make sure that people actually know about uh, you know us uh, holistically in a 360 sense because I don't I think people identify us as a community and I think mm-hmm. that is always it is the heartbeat of the company we are uh, we are community first we are you know this is that's why we exist in many ways because of our community however I, I don't know if many people understand that we actually do so much more than provide what we do in our community so there's so many products that hopefully our customer base and our and our community can leverage to make their lives better and to accelerate what they want to accomplish. Yeah. Prashant has talked a lot about predictability and pace. So if you haven't taken 130 meetings in the last two days, yeah, you're, you're falling short. <laughs> 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 I know I do public talks a lot and people come up to me afterwards and I'm expecting like a technical question or something like that. And what they say is, oh my gosh, I didn't even know we could have our own stack overflow. Like, do you know how many times I work, I'm on a team with someone, they've asked me the same question like 50 times in the last year it, I, I've thought like if only I had a place to point them and people get really excited when they hear that's something that we're doing yeah it's cool and if you wear a Stack Overflow t-shirt with the logo out which I've started doing now that I work here <laughs> random people will like approach you for a hug and it's like yeah. oh okay <laughs> actual hugs uh, actual high fives and hugs huh. do occur oh that's strong uh, but <laughs> since I'm a New Yorker I usually enter like yes. kind of quick yeah, 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 yeah. don't pl- Stranger, don't touch me. But uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, they just want to express their gratitude. Oh, actually, you know, I, I got to share this. Is like, you know, when my appointment went public last week, just the literally the thousands of people that reached out to me, either mm. you know, commenting on the appointment or direct messaging me or emailing me, and these are you know not only people that I've known and worked for me and that sort of thing, but a bulk of them were people from the community that were all so so grateful for what. Stack Overflow has been, and I just I was blown away by 
how much it has made a difference for them in their lives and their, their families. And, you know, these are folks from all around the world, all around the world, right? Uh, but just know that, uh, and I, you know, I remember this chart that uh, made me uh, fall in love with the company when I first saw it, which is the, the chart about the R community across the world. Yeah. Uh, 50 million users and sorry, 50 million uh, community members that come every month, uh, you know, are literally all around the world. Right, and it's that that chart that is that's so high impact. So anyway, I just totally agree with you, Ben. I think we make a huge difference in people's lives, and it's not to be underestimated. When you were using Logo, what were you using it for? It was completely for drawing, really. That's all yeah. it was. I think it was just to kind of say, how do you actually control movement of the turtle? Well, it gives in a way kids that was, a reaction. Yes. You get to see the computer do yeah. something. And this is that addictive part that I mentioned earlier on, because like it gives you like this sense of control or creative control to mm-hmm. say, you know what, like I'm actually controlling this thing in a very, very binary zero kind of zero one kind of way, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, move forward by fifty steps. Okay, here you go. It actually moves forward by fifty steps. Turn right. Okay. So then that that in itself gets you going. And I see a similar look in my kids' eyes now when mm-hmm. they are they're actually learning how to code. My daughter's uh, uh, nine years old. My son's uh, six years old. And they're big uh, code.org, uh, you Ooh, know, fans. So this is like a very, very, you know, kind of a, you can see the reaction in her, in, her, in her face when she's able to kind of do that. I think this is, I remember this experience really clearly. You, you have control over something for the first time in your life. Yes. Like kids don't have control over their own lives. You're always yeah. shuttling them somewhere. You have to get to yes. school, get your, you know, wear your pants. Those are your, those yeah. are the things you're saying. And suddenly they're in this environment where they say, all right, it might just be a turtle, but it's mine. Yes. And I get to do anything I want with it. And up, and I think for me what I remember is that screens had always been – I remember being four and being asked, do, do the people on the screen know that you're here? And I was like, maybe? And they're like, nope, under no circumstances. They wanted to get that across to me. And then the computer shows up, and you go, well, actually, it knows I'm here. Like, mm. I, I exist to this – in, you know, for the turtle. The turtle knows that I'm in charge. And it's a good feeling when you're six, seven, eight years old. That reminds me a little bit about, you know, the creative control that comes with it, but also there's a, I think it teaches you to be somewhat of a perfectionist and to kind of like be detail-oriented. Mm-hmm. I think kids can also kind of like gain from, I think mm-hmm. by being exposed to it very early on, because if you are frustrated by the fact that your command actually didn't result in the outcome that you hoped for, then you are going to keep pursuing until you actually get to the end zone, until you actually you know, are, are perfecting the outcome, right? And also, it's very easy to get stuff wrong, too, in computer programming, as we all know. So, oh, it's, yes. uh, so that's also <laughs> you know, very, very frustrating, but it also teaches you to have an you know, exceptional amount of uh, detail orientation, which I think that has served me, by the way, in my life like, very well. You know, researchers call the phenomenon that you're talking about with your kids, it's, they call it eustress, which mm. is like euphoric stress. They call it that when it comes to gaming as well. It's the idea of stress where you know there's a solution and you know you can find it. Yeah. So it's not distress, which is something where you're like easily get discouraged. It's euphoric stress that gets you more excited until you solve that problem. And mm. then you're like, yes. And you get this all this dopamine, this yes. flooding in of like, yes, I did it. That's it's really cool. neat. That is that Sarah, you've taught me something new. That's like amazing. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. I have never heard of that, but that's, yeah, it's pretty that's cool. actually a scientific term for it. That's great. And yet the three <laughs> yeah. of you gave up being individual contributors where you have that control 
and can execute to be managers of people, mm. which is the mm. worst people. Come on. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, it turns out you make a bigger impact as a coder. You know, by myself, I'm not the best coder, but being able to enable millions of coders, mm-hmm. right. what a better impact. I like seeing what people are up to, too. I like the knowledge part, probably even more than the execution part. Mm. Like, you can only execute so much. You can learn a ton, so. Yeah. And for me, I think it's very early on, I, I started realizing that what really even though while coding was you know, very enjoyable and frustrating at the same time, as we've talked about, mm. but uh, still enjoyable, at the end of the day, I felt that I'm like a big impact guy. And along the way, I discovered that you know, my passion was uh, more about uh, leading larger organizations or leading teams towards you know, big outcomes. So how do people give you feedback now? You're the CEO of Stack. You've got mm. lots of users, lots of employees. Mm. How, how are they, what is the channel? I, I think especially uh, let's talk internal and external, right? I think that the uh, from an internal, from Stack Overflow, there needs to be, uh, you know, feedback shouldn't just be a very kind of discreet kind of like every six months, you know, we're going to get and talk about stuff. It should literally be on a daily basis. The, the world is moving way too fast for us to say, how do we react and how do we, you know, get ahead in many ways of, you know, uh, certain things that are coming down the pike and how do we need to flex our style to be able to be able to be appropriate for the moment. So I'm constantly, you know, the 130 meetings that I mentioned to you or the, the stackers I speak to are all, they're bi-directional in many ways. So they're saying, what what do I need to do to make our stackers successful, right? And if I'm not wired a certain way, how, what do I need to consider as I think about my own style so that I can actually be uh, helpful to this organization? How do I make sure that people are aware of my own weaknesses so that you know, they, there are blind spots? And how do I surround myself with leaders or my team that will bring that perspective uh, so that we don't just you know have a singular view in the room versus having kind of the right view, ultimately having all the right discussions. Also, really making sure the team taking time out on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, on a quarterly basis, on a daily basis, to make sure that we're constantly iterating towards our mission, but doing it collectively uh, and making sure that we're holding each other accountable towards that and, and not taking anything personally because we're all, my, my approach is uh, we have to adopt a growth, growth mindset. If you don't adopt a growth mindset, you know, you're, we are not going to be able to achieve the full potential of what we're meant to do. Uh, the key feedback from the community and the community is, uh, as we said, you know, a phenomenal phenomenally passionate uh, group of individuals that have been here for the past 10 years. You know, and there's obviously, like with anything else, there will be a, a diversity of thought and opinion, which I think is very, very important. Uh, you have to take all that into account. And then we uh, we want to make sure that we, again, stay true to our mission and our core beliefs and our core principles and, you know, make sure that we deliver on that with the spirit of taking that feedback from the community and making sure that it reflects uh, much of what they care about. Oh, I love Logo. What is the Logo? End. Just kidding. Yeah. I have a cool. I have some cool stuff about Logo. But Logo is a uh, a little language to teach children. And the way that actually, mm. when it, when it first showed up, it also showed up with a little robot turtle mm. with a pen on the bottom because screens weren't even that common. Yeah. So you'd program your logo. I mean, they were, but like you'd program your Logo robot to like move up a few steps, move to the right a few steps, move down a few steps, and then it became a spirograph. Kind yeah. Of. Like you, oh, you, cool. So you were drawing things as a kid, and you could see the the turtle. They yeah. Called it. The turtle would move around, and you would learn the basics of loops and you know sort of commands and and so that was like that's coming out of early educational research, especially at MIT. I was a so it's sort of like another basic. 
Basic was more like make the computer go. Logo was more you're going to learn, young child. It's like a more like Scratch, which also came out of MIT. Yeah, no, it's in that. It's that is directly like that one laptop per child. Mm. Like that's all one intellectual history. Okay, cool. Um, but there is, if you ever need a weird weekend exploration into true nerdery, mm. go look for something called Net Logo. Okay, Net Logo is Net a logo. simulation environment. And you can run, there's lots of examples, and it, it's, I think it's in Java. Okay. And it's a whole environment, and it allows you to program this sort of like agents that operate upon environment. So it's like zombie attack outbreak, or pathogens, or sheep versus wolves. It's okay. that kind of systems thinking, agent, stock uh, and flow. Got it. It's a visualization and coding environment for that. And lots of mm. agents run at once, so it's weirdly concurrent. Cool. And it's like a learning environment. It is, and it's an it's it's done by educators, I think, out of Northwestern University. And it is, uh, I haven't used it in a while, but I definitely like one. I always do something silly over the holidays. Yeah, not silly, but just like something that's off the off the track for me. Yeah, and then really... you end up with seven thousand people in the spreadsheet. Well, that's what I didn't do with this. I kept my love for NetLogo secret. Yeah, um, I tried to simulate my company. Actually, I was yeah. like, okay, let's see the stocks and flows here. But the um, uh, that is a if you're interested in like a one path that logo went down and you want to get all systems thinky, net logo. This code is really fun to read. The net logo code, isn't it cool? Breed dog dog, sick, vaccinated, rabies phase, days infected, and incubator, and furious and life. No, it's right. <laughs> Okay, everybody, that was great. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks to Prashanth for coming on and doing that interview. Thanks to Paul for educating us about NetLogo. Thanks to Sarah for building her data website so he can retire on time. I uh, just want to say goodbye. I want to say tune in every week. You can find me, Ben Popper, on Twitter. I'm at Ben Popper. Sarah, where can people find you? I'm at Sarah J. Chips on Twitter.com. And if you need Paul Ford... At FTrain on Twitter or send an email to hello at postlight.com. Um, and then I think we just want to say check out the blog. Sarah put up an amazing post this week about iterating on inclusivity. Obviously, that's mm. something we work really hard on. And, uh, you know, we go back and forth with the community and with our meta and with our moderators. But we're always listening. We're always trying to improve. We're not going to quit on you, so don't quit on us. And this is a place where we can talk about that stuff. You can email us at The Overflow and we will listen. And uh, we're going to do a little fun thing every week. I'm going to shout out some folks who got the lifeboat. That's an answer score of 20 or more to a question that was a negative three. So you came into a question that was headed to the bin of obscurity. You saved heroes. it and you answered it. You are our heroes. So oh. to Java, for what does P stand for in the data interval format? Thank you very much. To this Savant, sounds like a play from the 60s. For like, Russian peasant. Oh, you think that? <laughs> Russian peasant multiplication. Mm, that's even more. That is. Savant. Yeah. Thank you very much. To Gordon. Okay. How do you stand it out in PHP? Thank you, Gordon. Uh, to Alex XY, add one day to my date in Python. Alex! To J-A-T-I-N. Jatin? Jatin? Round a floating point number to the next integer value in Java. Thank you to all those people who brought knowledge, who saved a question, and who made our community a better place. Great job. Good job. Java thanks you. Java thanks you.